Welcome to this Dharma If You Dare bonus episode. We hope you enjoy this soundbite from Doug Capel Duncan and Catherine Poissart Sensei on how Buddhism worked with the shadow before modern psychology existed to name this aspect of our psyche. And a note of clarification. In the talk, you'll hear them reference Passionate Enlightenment. This is a book by Miranda Shaw on the history of women in Tantric Buddhism. Before we had psychology, like for example, 500 years ago, how did practitioners clear or understand the shadow with regards to money, sex, and power? They didn't. There was no psychology. Mm. So let's be clear. Awakening is not a static process. The, the fundamental aspect of awakening is that you see through the illusion of the self. Now, every generation, it gets richer, it gets fuller. So the awakening itself doesn't change, but it gets more full. So think about it as a balloon. So before psychology and all this stuff, the balloon of awakening was like this. Now, psychology comes in, changes the game. Quantum physics changes the game, right? Science changes the game. The arts changes the game. Changing social, cultural, social patterns in changes the game. And psychology changes the game. And in the next generation, it will change the game again. Awakening balloons, but its essence doesn't change. Does that answer your question? Kara expands and says, what I mean is, how did they work with the lower three chakras before we had psychology? Through ritual or meditation only? Yeah. Oh, well, and through things like renunciation or through its opposite. So the Buddha had a harem and then gave up sex. Supposedly. Supposedly in his lifetime. That's, that's how the story goes. And he had a fortune. He had a kingdom and he gave all of that up. So that's definitely working with those three chakras. And, you know, people were begging him to stay and everything. So that's the renunciate's path. And then the, if you look at the stories of the early Vajrayana practitioners, especially the Mahasiddhis, oh, they're just flying in the face of the status quo at that time. So, you know, mothers walking out on their husbands and children, for example. Or I, I think that was just one story. There's just two female Mahasiddhis, I think, in the classic 87. In the classic, but as we go back to passionate enlightenment, where all these tantric male gurus that you hear about, the, the 82 <laughs> Mahasiddhis, all had female guru consorts. So these were people breaking all the traditions and all the cultural taboos of their society. Yeah, that's another reason that's a great book, because she found original texts that had not yet been translated. And that's where some of the stories of these women who were wisdom holders came from. So a lot of it's about who, who has the text, who wrote the text, who's translating the text. Another form of power. Yeah. You also have to remember that our Western culture is very much on, on about power and control. Eastern culture doesn't have the same orientation. Eastern culture's great constrictions on its people is about agreeing with the social milieu fitting into the social fabric, right? They don't have the same issues about sex and money necessarily, but they do have it about fitting into the social fabric. So a, a lot of the Buddhist and Tantric and Hindu practitioners were breaking the sadhus in Hindu culture, right? We're breaking all the, all the fabric of their cultural 
paradigm. They did it by going outside. So that would be, for example, having sex with somebody from a lower caste right. than you. That's another common theme. Or having a teacher from a lower caste, social caste than you. Yes. There's still a cult, if you want to call it that, in India, which is non-monogamous. They don't marry. They get together occasionally. They wander around. They're nomadic. They don't get married. They, they take the kids, raise the kids cooperatively. They don't fit into the fabric of the Hindu framework of values and culture and society. So awakening isn't about breaking the rules of your society. Awakening is about transcending the rules of your society. And in some ways, it makes you an outcast. But from a skill and means point of view, <laughs> right, you have to be in the world, but not of it. You have to know how to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and still do what you need to do to break so, free. So, so I think the short answer is these are ways that they worked with those three chakras or all the issues with the three chakras. So self-identity, power and control, sexuality, security. I think the big difference is because there wasn't psychology, they didn't spend a lot of time talking about it and processing it or narrating it. We spend a lot of time narrating our processes, which you know can be good and it can be another kind of eddy that we get lost in depending on how we use it. I can't say for sure, but I think the swollen balloon, if you want to call it that, in the coming uh, millennium, in the Aquarian age, is going to be a large part about how we organize around uh, human relations, gender, career, etc. So the Piscean age identified around success as, a, as kind of like hierarchical and fixed, and relationships are nuclear, and all that kind of stuff. I think the swollen balloon in the future is going to be undefined human relationships and undefined identity based on what you do. That's not so fixed. Not so not fixed. So. It's going to it's going to blow that out. We hope you enjoyed today's soundbite. Today's bonus recording covers ideas that Doug and Catherine explore in detail in their best-selling book, Wasteland to Pureland. The third section of the book is entitled Crazy Wisdom and covers a wide variety of topics, including the shadow, tantra, and money, sex, and power. Podcast listeners can download a free chapter from this section of the book by visiting planetdharma.com slash crazywisdom. See you next time, and may all our efforts benefit all beings.